Welcome back to Coaching Kernan. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host, and I'm joined by America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, and also our performance expert, Sal Marinello. It's episode 86 of our panel of resident experts. We're without Will George today, who's on assignment. Um, but welcome back, guys. We uh, Before we get going, I want to give a quick shout out to some of our followers. We'll make this a part of our show. Uh, our very own uh, She Gone podcast host, Jeff Fry, at his first fielding clinic this past week. Uh, make sure we're following him. He's on He's on these throwdowns this, this week as far as hitting these velocity chasers at these different camps and clinics. So make sure we're following supporting him. Kelly Franco through great little segments on uh, what we would be learning from the GM meetings, rule five drafts, qualifying offers, our buddy, not Gaetti. Uh, he's great with this man is underrated. That's his, his famous thing. He puts out every day, he put out something today, uh, comparing Nelly Fox to Yon Moncado. Uh, Moncado had 600 plus at bats in a season, struck out 216 times and Nelly Fox and over 10,000 at bats only struck out one more time than Yon Moncado. So follow not Gaetti. Uh, our, one of our favorite guests early on, Ted Kubiak, uh, if you haven't already check out his, his website, old school MVP, he's got his book old school and he has his, his manual on how to feel the ground ball. Phenomenal. And then, uh, our very own, uh, Kevin Kernan writes for ball nine. You want to support the ball nine guys. They were just at the New York state baseball hall of fame with Rennie LaRue. Uh, they were up there supporting uh, a lot of the nominees. And I know, I know Kevin has a a big push with some of those that were inducted and you'll recognize some familiar names on there. And then if you haven't already go back to episode 85 and, and take, uh, take a, have a listen to Ray Crone, a uh, lifetime scout, former major league player connected to a lot of legends in the game. And uh, for the podcast network this week, you'll hear uh, you'll hear Kevin Mensch this week. He'll be on one of our shows. You'll hear Tim McDonald scout who, who saw Stan and Yelich out in California and then uh, Seattle Mariners GM Jerry Depoto will be on later this week. So great lineup this week for the guys. And uh, Kevin Sal, welcome back to the show. And we always start out with our show with Kevin. You know what? What's been? What are you seeing out there in Major League Baseball in the sports world? Well, it's always an interesting week. And uh, James Click got fired by the Astros. So I wrote about that in length because people don't understand all the all the nerds are up in arms, you know, how could he go to the World Series and win and get fired? He was offered a one-year deal. Obviously, they didn't really want him. Jim Crane, I know very well, the owner. Jim is, Jim, and this is the angle of the story. The, you know, he's the closest thing to Steinbrenner that's out there, George Steinbrenner, not Hal. And, and uh, you know, basically more teams need to do what the Astros do. Having a baseball man like Dusty Baker truly being in charge even though he had to fight and debate over pretty much everything with the Astros front office during the playoffs. A friend of mine uh, had spoken to Dusty in the middle of one of those uh, series, and, and Dusty kind of was was uh, anguished a little bit about it. And, and obviously when you do uh, follow-ups, and the, the just so people understand how it works, the broadcasters who are doing the game get unbelievable access because they, they get to sit down all the time with the managers and, and other people. And we've seen it with the guys in the dugout. Um, but, you know, Brian Anderson had mentioned that, you know, uh, Dusty had told them time and again, you know, that, uh, you know, he's only got one vote, you know, uh, he used to have all the votes, but he's only got one vote. And I think he has more than one vote to be honest with you. And I think managers, I believe this is the beginning of the pendulum starting to swing back. Bruce Bochy in Texas is a great example. I think they're going to let Bochy do a lot of stuff. Know Bochy very well. Um, he's he's just a tremendous baseball guy. Uh, it's interesting some of the moves the Rangers are doing. Who knows what happens in free agency? And, and you know, when people write this stuff, I want everybody to be aware. Nobody knows basically where anybody's going. Okay, just let's start with that premise. You know, every time I I'm on a podcast or whatever, I'm asked about Judge. Nobody knows where Judge is going. The only Judge knows, and he probably won't know until all the pieces come together because he wants a winning team. Obviously, he's going to get money. Maybe he wants to go home. But uh, I'll throw this out there. If the Rangers could change their identity overnight if they signed two pitchers, free agent pitchers. And believe me, all these teams have money. Teams like the Pirates, the Reds, they've chosen not to spend it. Uh, Depoto's are going to be an interesting player because, you know, he's going to continue to go hard. Maybe his guys learned not to swing from their ass every at bat in a, in a postseason game. Maybe they've learned to play a little more defense. Uh, that's what the Astros do. 
But could you imagine if the Rangers add uh, Justin Verlander and John, and uh, DeGrom? That's a pretty good uh, offseason right there to go along with the offseason they had last year with Bochy in charge. He's pretty good at running a bullpen. Then all of a sudden, I think the Rangers are in the mix uh, uh, for playoffs because, uh, you know, that could happen. Now, DeGrom, I've said all along, would probably go to Atlanta. But Atlanta really screwed themselves, I think, when they signed Charlie Morton to a $20 million deal. Uh, that money should have been allocated towards DeGrom. Atlanta's a little cheap, to be honest with you, and some of the things they do. They're coming off a World Series. They should have went hard on some things, and they didn't do it. But to me, DeGrom would have been the perfect fit for the Braves. It hurts hurts the Mets in two different ways. So we're going to have a hot sum, you know, a hot winner to talk about the Hot Stove League, and uh, we'll be talking about it all the time. I don't want to over-talk about it because, like I said, let's see how it plays out. And the dominoes have to fall. The main shortstop has to be signed. Trey Turner. Then the other ones will be signed. Don't you know? It, it, it works like that. You know, Carlos Correa. I do want to give a little shout out to Correa, simply because yes, he left the Astros, but he really paved the way for Jeremy Pena. And Jeremy Pena was one of those guys that Dusty had to fight for. The nerds want to put a big power hitter in, in uh, two spot. Gee, who does that? The Yankees. Uh, and and um, and Dusty fought like hell to make Pena his number two hitter. Kid wins the ALCS MVP, the World Series MVP. And don't forget he hit the big home run against the Mariners. Um, and also he's on base almost all the times when Alvarez is hitting home runs, pretty much. You know, so uh, so that number two batting order, and we can detail it later. But that number two spot in the batting order needs to be more traditional. Less of this garbage about coming around. Uh, you know, getting that at bat, getting more at bats because you're number two. No, it's not about the number of at bats. It's about the impact of the at bats with men on base. And the uh, and I see it all the time. One final point on the nerds. Um, you know, poor Zach Wheeler. I know him so well. He got taken out of that game. He's such a gutsy guy. Uh, he he was stunned. Rob Thompson. I was stunned. Rob did it, but then this tells you a little bit who has the power there. The nerds uh, had the power. And Rob, Rob has been doing the Alvarado thing the whole series. So what do the nerds always say, Dave? They always say, uh, oh, we don't want that starter to see the uh, third time through the lineup. Right. Yeah. Well, Jose Alvarado saw saw Alvarez four times in that series. When you see a guy over and over again out of the bullpen, you read him. You know him. Plus, if they watch batting practice, they will saw that Alvarez made an incredible adjustment in BP. He was on everything. That's the value of watching batting practice, not only your teams, but the other teams. But the nerds are looking at – they may watch batting practice, but they watch it for the, through the computer because they want to see the, the, the exit velocity, the swing speed, all, all the garbage instead of the hitting. So uh, hats off to the Astros. Too bad, Yankee fans. Don't stop, stop whining about 2017. You've had your chance. You haven't been able to do it. So uh, that's where I'm at with some of the ideas today. Yeah, I like I like what Jim Crane did. I think he, you know, he got blindsided by, you know, like probably a, an overloaded analytics department the last time around. And he's hands on now. If he wasn't before, he's definitely hands on. And it sounds like Dusty Baker's got his ear. And that's a good that's a good person to have in your well, ears. Also, Reggie Jackson is down there, you know, BGO. He listens to the former players Bagwell. So he's got a, he's got, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Godfather, you know, he's got his guys and, uh, and, and they're baseball guys. And once again, just, just so that everybody understands, I'm not ripping nerds for being nerds. That's who they are, but take their information and utilize it. Don't be a slave to it. And, uh, and that's basically what Jim Crane is saying. Cause I also heard that Jim Crane really wanted to get slawing Marte and he was upset that that wasn't done. And uh, the Mets wound up with him. So, um, you know, so Jim Crane knows his baseball. You know, I, I know Jim very well. He's, He's hands-on. He's a little pain in the neck, but so what? So is the boss, and it's his team. You know what? And, he, and he, they got a 622 winning percentage the last six years, so I think it's working, you know? And, uh, you know, Lunau, uh, for all his faults, he, he, he was a, pretty much a genius at doing the international signing, so I don't know how they got done. I'm not saying uh, good or bad, but they got done, and they also made the market of uh, – they created a new market where they signed older pitchers from uh, like the Dominican and those guys have really come through strong. They have so much pitching. Um, uh, one other small point to take a guy like Hector Neris and um, 
who had his struggles in Philly, and they make him a stud because they basically have him throw more fastballs. It's like a column I wrote two, three months ago. More fastballs, please. You know, more fastballs, and uh, set establish the fastball, work off of that. And and the Astros, they throw a lot of spin, but they also throw fastballs that are commanded. So that's the difference. It's not when I say more fastballs, I don't mean go eighty percent. I mean more good fastballs that are in the, in the uh, you know hit their spots. That that's how you make everything else work. If you throw a fastball that's out of the zone, that's not going to help you later with your breaking ball. So throw that fastball that's there, and it creates all kinds of things. And and once again, I say it every year, once again, we're reminded in the World Series that the teams that play more baseball than the other team win the World Series. All the other stuff is, I, uh, all the other stuff is like a cat chasing a laser. You know, that little – that's what all these nerds are. They're little cats chasing laser beams. Uh, when, it, when it comes to reality, they don't know what they're looking at. No, it's great. I, I love the points. And it's a copycat league, so hopefully people start copycatting that. And you mentioned Bochi being back and love to have some other guys back in. I got asked yesterday, I was, I was on a, uh, I was, I was called to be on a podcast. They asked me to give my definition of analytics. I'll, I'll read it quick on the air for you. And I said, it's numerical calculations that mask the realities of the game while provoking meaningless discussions that appear to be informative, but more, more appropriate fodder for the theatrics of ESPN, Baseball Tonight, Cable TV, whatever you want to say. They're simply sound bites that predict nothing concrete in their pointed purpose. They can't because baseball is very unpredictable. Well, it sounds um, a little bit like real life in politics and uh, CNN and MSNBC. Not to go there, but I'm going there, so too bad. No, it's uh, I think... Uh, it's become baseball's become the watering hole for the for the rich elite, and we're seeing that a little bit with FTX. We can get to that later, but Sal, you had the one wanted to jump in here. What would you have to say? Well, I just wanted to ask Kevin what he thought the market would be for uh, Degrom as far as the salary. What, what range is that per year, Kevin? What's do you uh, have any of, insight or any thought? No, it's it's basically uh, it depends where he wants to go. He'll take less from a team where he wants to be, but you know, Scherzer's making all that. It's it's got to be in the Scherzer neighborhood, and and I do think. Short term, it's okay, right? Um, but I, I do think these these teams they got to realize that they're, they're playing with fire when these long, and you know, and Sal, uh, to your point, the Yankees, you know, Garrett Cole, three hundred twenty four million, okay, that's what he got. Yet when it becomes a, the biggest time in the season for Garrett Cole, with three out, uh, three guys on base, fifth inning, close game after he gave up a home run that he shouldn't have given up to a number nine hitter, I get it, but you got to let pitchers. Uh, develop they take him out of the game for Lutrovino, a reliever who who knows what you're paying him you know you're paying him just your standard reliever money so these idiots in charge of teams are giving all this money to pitch starting pitchers and then they don't let them finish and one last point on DeGrom I'm a big DeGrom fan always have been my problem with DeGrom is I think he got he he got because of who who was talking to him he got a little crazy about the numbers going 100 miles per hour, and it changed who he was a little bit. And it's uh, that velocity can't be there. So I think um, if he goes to the right spot, I, I personally don't get it because they all have more money than they could ever. He's a he's a kid from uh, you know DeLeon Springs in Florida who could live 10 times over on the money that he has. And his family could live 10 times over. His father, I believe his father was a lineman, you know, for the uh, – telephone company or something like that, you know, and, um, you know, blue collar people. So, uh, well, I, 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 it, it, it always go back to where I think he feels comfortable. That's my gut feeling. It, it's insane to think even some of the crazy numbers I've heard, the Scherzer numbers, obviously, you know, when you look at his injury history, he has only had like barely 200. He's got 209 starts, which is one of the things that is crazy, and he hasn't pitched over 100 innings since 2019. I mean, it's crazy. He pitched 64 innings this year. So, you know, I don't look at that as being, oh, well, he's got, you know, some rest. He's got rest in his bank. He's needed to pitch that little because he can't continue to pitch at a regular rate. I think it's going to really hurt a team that signs him in short term. You know, it might be great. And, you know, I loved watching him, but if that was my money, I wouldn't be throwing big Big money, Adam. Well, and, and, and look, one last, you know, a little point on that is that um, last year, remember, he shut himself down pretty much, Sal, to yeah. prepare for this year. So we're we're talking about, you know, we're talking about 
this guy's basically tried to put himself in the best spot for this season, knowing he was going to opt out, and it still didn't work out for him uh, number-wise. And again, he has all the talent in the world. And when guys like Mookie Betts say he's the greatest pitcher ever, no, come on, let's go. You know, yeah. and the last three innings, you know, uh, last three, well, 2020, of course, was the uh, COVID year, um, 68 innings, just to be exact. Uh, 2021, 92 innings. And like you said, uh, 2022, 64 innings. And, he's and, thir- and you know what? He's, he's 34 with a Tommy John. So, you know, people think that the Tommy John lasts forever. It doesn't. There's a shelf life for that, lifespan for that. So and he had it young. He had the Tommy John, yeah. you know, around 11 or 12. And, yeah, he'll be 35 um, during the season next year. So that's. So well, if you think about it, if you're going to give him 40 million, just argument off the top of the head, which, which I wouldn't do. Um, you're paying, uh, you know, I'm not a math wizard, but you're paying, uh, what are you paying? 800,000 an inning? Uh, <laughs> come yeah. on. It's, it's ridiculous. Maybe a pairing like you mentioned with him and Berlander could help because Berlander went through some of those adjustments throughout his career, and he wants to pitch till he's forty-five, and he looked pretty strong. You know what, year. Kevin Mookie? You brought up Mookie Betts. He should watch that. Um, he needs to watch the Nolan Ryan documentary if you want to see. You know, we touched on that. If you want to look at a power pitcher um, being, you know, beyond great, that's no better thing to watch than that. Well, and Nolan Ryan, you know, I covered him. Talked to him many times. See him at the Hall of Fame when he goes. Um, my, my lasting image is Nolan Ryan because I have a different access than people. You know, he's not on the f- field to play. But when we used to interview him, like um, uh, early on, when uh, with, with my time in San Diego, uh, when the Padres would face him, and we'd be in the the uh, you know the uh, the great eighth wonder of the world ballpark there down there, and. Um, so we come, you know, basically you go to your own team first, then you run over to the other team if you have time. And um, so by the time we would get to the Houston clubhouse, uh, Nolan Ryan would already be on the bike, heavy into riding the bike. So he would actually invite the media. Imagine this today. He would invite those visiting writers because there'd be two or three of us, you know, and uh, and, you know, he, he loved the game. He wasn't afraid to talk about his game. He would invite us into the training room while he rode the bike. How many of these guys, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've ever interviewed a, a post-game pitcher since riding a bike. But that tells you his, his strength, uh, and you can address that better than I can, about what, what he does for his legs to make his arms strong. Why, why would he do something like that, So Why would he ride a bike post? Well, I think there's a recovery element. I think, you know, when, when you're doing something like that, it's non-weight bearing. Bike riding is one of the, you know, uh, stationary cycle riding is one of the great exercises, one of the great modalities you could use for a bunch of things. It's it's scalable. You could make it, you know, an easy recovery. You could make it a high-level anaerobic workout that's going to improve your overall conditioning. Um, it, there's no wear and tear, right? There's no ground, there's no uh, ground reaction force. In other words, there's no pounding. Your foot's not hitting the ground. So you're saving the, the body. Um, it's not close to any pattern that you're going to screw up. And, and by that, I mean, you know, you have these guys who run slowly. It screws up your sprint, whereas the bike is, is not going to do that because it's a completely different uh, movement pattern and it's not going to get in the way of what other things you need to do. So, you know, and again, relative to what he normally did without context, you don't know what, but, you know, the stuff I've seen with him, he did very basic weightlifting and very basic, you know, but hard work. And that's, and he, you know what, at some point a guy's a stud, you know, there's something to be said for that too. Yeah. And he knows he's stud and keeps himself in stud condition. And and when I say riding a bike, you know, I'm talking eighties, you know, he's not riding a Peloton. No, good old fashioned. Yeah. Good old fashioned manual resistance bike. Manual resistance bike. And speaking of bikes, the other day I was uh, down here in St. Augustine. I'd like to take my bike out and then walk the beach. And we, since the storms, we've uh, lost a lot of our beach. So there's certain entry points now. So I take my bike over. And as I'm getting off my bike, I was getting off on a street that I'm not used to getting off on it. And I kind of got myself in the, um, and uh, you know, I was lower where my getting off the bike and the bike was higher. And I caught my right leg on the seat, almost tumbled backwards. Thank goodness I didn't split my head open. And I caught myself 
But at the same time, I somehow pulled a muscle, not in the calf behind the calf, but something on the side of the calf, my whole side of the calf. So I blew out something, Sal. No oh boy. Well, you'll have to send me a video and we can, we can consult off air. <laughs> Sal, what about the, I mean, there's, there's obviously strength coaches galore in Major League Baseball. Now, Nolan Ryan didn't have people like that around him for the most part. He was his own strength coach. Can you, can you talk about the, uh, or expound upon the necessity of that now, or is it not necessary? And maybe hit on a few that we've seen in the media lately. Well, we've, we've got a, we've created this industry now where the guys are making, you know, mid six figures, you know, even 300, 400 grand. There's not many jobs like that. And you've got a situation, you've created a situation where these guys have to do these things to justify that salary. And they're coming up with more ridiculous um, workouts and pushing guys harder. You know, I, I did an Instagram post today to plug my Instagram coach Sal's playmakers that talks about, are we getting better or are we just getting tired? And we have a lot of these gurus uh, that are making their players tired. And I don't think they're making the players any better. And I think if you look at what passes for sound conditioning in the media and what's being pushed out in social media, you're looking at that exact thing. I have this stud athlete who could do anything. So I'm going to have him do anything and everything. And at the end of the day, it's not making him better. And I'll go back and I'll use this example is the Mike Trout flipping the truck tire with dumbbells in it. There is nothing that Mike Trout is going to do on the field that that activity is going to help. It's just putting needless wear and tear on that body. That's treating a NASCAR or Formula One race car like a snowplow or a tow truck. So, you know, we've seen that all, all over the place. Uh, and then, uh, Dave, you got this, you know, say, let's say the Yankees guy who's making two, three hundred grand. They just uh, the Yankees just advertised for a full time strength and conditioning coach that has all these responsibilities. Um, and I sent it to you guys. They're paying the starting salary is between thirty two and thirty seven thousand dollars. So, you know, what where are they re, where are they allocating their resources and what are they getting for from those resources? How much was the money? 32 to 32 to 37. Now, this is for an experienced strength and conditioning professional. This is not an entry level grunt intern. This is someone who's going to have real impact on players in that organization. My, so my neighbor's that, 15. He makes that flipping the fries at McDonald's. Yeah. You, and so I'll, I'll tell you what, per hour, he makes more. I bet you if you broke that down for how many hours that poor person's going to have to work, um, they're going to get crushed. How many uh, was that for a was that for a major league position yes. or was that, that yep. for organi- uh, in the organization position? Major league. Interesting. What, what kind of and not we don't want to obviously disparage somebody who gets the job, but what kind of uh, experience would you? I mean, does that garner? I mean, what kind of applicants would you get with something like that? Why would they want somebody if it's a lower? Um, background level, I guess. Why would they want somebody like that? I've been in in enough uh, situations to know they want someone that's going to be right out of school, that's going to do what they're told, that's not going to make waves, you know, for whatever they say they want. They want a drone that's just going to follow what's been determined. So, you know, that- And whatever you do, drone, don't talk to the media. You know, I was uh, was (laughs) going to get, I was in line for two full-time strength jobs at a D1 school. Uh, they wanted to pay 50 grand and be, you know, you to be there 18 hours a day and be with all the teams. So when you have, and when you're in the tri-state area, no one can afford to live on that. So you get someone who, you know, has no other obligations and, you know, can do that and work under those conditions, which aren't the best people. But yeah. you're also on the flip side of that, Sal, you do, it's an unbelievable resume builder. Sure. But you then that's a place. You open your own place and you say, you, you know, you're trained to the Yankees, blah, blah, blah. Of course. I can't tell you how many r- resumes I saw when I had my place that guys worked for the Jets because we're a stone's throw from the Jets training facility. Uh, we're a stone's throw from the Giants uh, in-season facility. 
I can't tell you how many resumes I've seen from men and women who have worked in those uh, organizations who I wouldn't put with any client. So, well, you know, they, it's great. They, they, it's, they perpetuated this cycle of ineptitude. It's the old pin, Peter principle. You're, you're, you're um, promoted to the level of your incompetence. Well, on the flip side, I know I know some really good, um, you know, performance coaches, strength and conditioning guys, and they, you know, they may be with a team or another team or two teams, and and all of a sudden the GM changes, they lose their job because they bring in their own guy, much like the college football coaches do, and these are quality guys that may, maybe been in the major leagues for 15, 20 years, can't can't get a sniff, right? Well, because they they a have their own mind, and b they are going to want to be paid more. And I mean, I t- that's happened to me since I turned, you know, this was about 10 years ago. So late 40s, early 50s, uh, it, you're going to have a hard time getting those jobs because I know who got the jobs instead of me. So, you know, is this, is this the s- parallel to what's going on in scouting analytics as well, where they're bringing in a bulk of these young young kids age 22 to 24 at, you know, 30 grand and pushing out guys that may challenge a system? Absolutely. In my book. Um, I mean, now I did see something where Click wanted to strengthen the scouts in in, um, in uh, Houston. But what kind of scouts are you bringing in? Again, you can you can strengthen them. But if you're bringing in a kid that's just reading numbers and not really understanding the game, um, that's not good. But uh, that's why when he got hired, he was 70 years old. I was at the press conference uh, first day. The way it works over in West Palm, um, the, the manager for the Astros comes out and there's a little grass area that leads to the bullpens. And it's a, it's a half field. It's basically an infield half field. They do most of their press conferences right there. And that day, Dusty Baker was phenomenal talking about what he wanted to do, about how he wanted to gain uh, the confidence of the guys. And, and um, you know, and I like I said, I've known Dusty for a long, long time. I remember when he took over the Nationals, um, I'm in his office because we had a very close mutual friend. Uh, and it's one of those things where you mention a friend and all of a sudden you're a friend of the friend. And um, so we're in there talking and I'm, I'm looking behind him at his shelf. And, uh, you know, he's very um, he's a motivational guy from all different avenues. You know, like he calls himself the world's second most interesting man. And he um, he had to, he had the pyramid of success up there by, you know, John Wooden. But what made his pyramid of success different was it was actually signed by John Wooden, you know. So uh, that's Dusty Baker. That's the value of senior uh, leadership, stuff you can't get. That, But they're just – here's the bottom line. Most of these people hire these other people that Sal was talking about because they're afraid to be – they're afraid to have too many smart people underneath them sometimes, you know, that, that could rock the boat. So yeah. they, they may be smart but they're not going to rock the boat. And that's the most important thing. And uh, we see it time and time again. And actually, uh, I'm, I'm glad you gave a shout out to Kelly. I think her um, her little videos are pretty pretty interesting because she comes from it from a, you know, attorney perspective as well. And, um, you know, you know, I, I would love to see her look into some of these things and the hiring practices of uh, MLB as well. I, yeah. have, uh, I had a colleague discussing uh, uh, the head strength coach, at a major university, I don't want to say, was complaining that the administration wouldn't hire uh, qualified personnel to work in their athletic training department and their strength and conditioning department. Now, this is the head. And he said that they didn't understand that if they hired a a couple of high level people that wanted to be pay a little that wanted to be paid a little more, it could probably save them, you know, two or three major injuries a year. And went on to say that every, and this is years ago now, this is probably eight to 10 years ago, every ACL injury costs the athletic department a minimum of $50,000. And he was obviously speaking in rough terms, but he was saying how, you know, if we could save three or four of those injuries because we're getting better attention and better people working with our athletes, that's going to save our department a lot of money in the long term, but they, they're penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah. I think that goes across, you know, all the the different jobs they hire. I don't how think much is it, how much is a Tommy John surgery? How much is that? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, it's got to be at least that, if not more, right? I mean, yeah, I think more. Oh, without, 
there, and, and there's mistakes made in that capacity across the, the board and all the, the different jobs they hire. I don't think I've told you guys this before, but I work in sometimes as a cons- consultant when there's hirings out there with, uh, with collegiate jobs, um, coaching jobs. And I get brought in a lot to, as a checks and balance to the major firms that come in. And I noticed an issue with this, this whole, obviously, diversity and inclusion. And there's so many different departments up there. We have uh, an oppression obsession out there, I think, right now. But um, to challenge the, the firms, what I put together was a, uh, to use analytics against everybody. I, I put together regression analysis based on the issues that the campus had in terms of supporting diversity. And they were so scared about seeing where they were deficient in either race, gender, creed, you name it. And at the end of the day, make a long story longer, when they would funnel the applications through this nameless, faceless, the people that were discriminated the most were, as you stated earlier, Sal, were the over 55 white male. And that was not uh, a popular thing uh, for, for obviously for what I, I brought about. But again, those were the ones that were the most. And what was interesting about when they had, you know, there's a strong push for, uh, you know, obviously we want everybody to have an opportunity, but I think excellence should be first. But in cases where they want to push diversity for the sake of diversity, um, a lot of times the campus is not prepared to support that. And you have a failed opportunity, whether it's an NFL coach or a MLB coach or a college job. And, and that just hurts everybody involved. So I, I think a uh, message out there to excellence first and, uh, I'm more about uh, intellectual diversity. Let's have difference of thoughts out there. But there's a lot of mistakes made out there with the hirings, regardless of position, and it costs the whether it's a pro team universities millions of dollars. Well, you get the de facto you get the de facto um, um, prejudice or uh, by, by the salary. I mean, because you're not gonna, you know, it's just like would you fly in an airplane that was being piloted by someone who was making substandard wages and just took the job because it was the job he could get versus someone who was worthy. So it's the, it's the same thing. So you, what these strength coaches and these other positions they can do is they tag the salary low and it eliminates a whole segment of the population based on that. Oh, uh, I don't care. I hope that, uh, yeah, I'm flying on Thursday to Wyoming. So um, to Denver, and then we drive up to Wyoming Every year I go with a bunch of scouts and baseball people to a football game, kind of like a weekend away. And you get to just uh, break bread with good, good baseball people. And you're not talking baseball all the time. So it's a fun event. And uh, again, this is, this is how I, for many years, I, I approach my job with relationships. And this is a tip for young people. It's not, you know, you got to build relationships any way you can. And, um, it's it, that's the most important thing. And, and again, I'm just dovetailing this all back. How do you think Dusty Baker won the world series, his relationships with his players? It was, and I, I, I disagree with people who said this was a cupcake job when he took over a team of talent, because he was dealing with obviously the big scandal they had with the cheating scandal. And he was stepping into a situation that people expected him to win. Um, I think, and Kevin, you could speak to this better than anybody because you have you have a uh, personal experience with him. But how much did his personality? I mean, not many people could have handled this situation um, in terms of not just getting to the World Series, but there wasn't a lot of drama over the course of his tenure there, the short tenure. Uh, would would you agree with that or disagree? No, that's who he is. And uh, again, everybody in baseball knew this. Now they the, the rap was he couldn't win the World Series. Okay, and and that's a lot of that is just. Yeah, maybe he made some pitching decisions or things that blew up or whatever. Some of it's bad breaks. But anybody who knows Dusty Baker knows his his greatest strength is relating to people. And he actually at the time, and, and I want to give Crane credit, Crane made the hire. He was the perfect hire. And uh, and even at the time, people were uh, criticizing it for on, on several levels. You know, he hasn't won the World Series. He's, he's 70 years old. I got a call this week from Jack McKeon. And, you know, Dusty broke his record of being the oldest manager to win a World Series. And, you know, Jack being Jack, you know, he's still a competitive son of a gun. And Jack was 72 when he won with the Marlins, and I was there when he won. And don't forget, he he told the analytics guys to get lost, even way back in 2003, whenever it was, because he he pitched um, Beckett 
on a short rest in game six, knowing that he had to win game six because if it came to a game seven, the Yankees would probably win that game. So the, the value of relationships, uh, knowledge from being there before, it's really been thrown out the door by baseball. And, um, and Dusty took that situation. And it wasn't that easy. You're right. Just from a player standpoint, he had, he had to bring all those, um, you know, different types of people together. I, I think Dusty speaks uh, Spanish as well. You know, he, he basically, he speaks, he speaks, uh, to break it down, he speaks human, you know. He, he treats you like a human being. Everybody feels great when they're done talking to Dusty. And Crane recognized that. And you just, I'm not going to name names because I've already made enough enemies. But juxtapose that with some of the managers we're seeing now. And also, he's not afraid to call you out. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, he, he'll, he'll call you out. Uh, we have too many Kumbaya managers and, um, or, or guys that maybe are rough around the edges that kind of turn players off, but he's the perfect blend of that. And there's other guys like that out there. I think Rob Thompson to some degree is, is that is like that. He's got so many years in the game and both those guys, it wasn't a fluke that they both went wound up in the world series. They know how to, they know how to manage people. It's, like I told somebody yesterday, it's it's a um, the job is called manager. You know, it's not called it's not called uh, you're not an analytic sheep herder. You know, where you're just taking analytic numbers and herding them into a pen for the slaughter. You know what I'm saying? So you're taking these people and you're making them into into um, the best they can be that they believe in themselves. And how in the world do you get a kid that's 25? Never been a starting shortstop. Came from the uh, in the majors. Came from the University of Maine. His dad was a major leaguer, so that helped a little bit. But he got that Jerry Pena to believe in himself as much as all the other guys believed in themselves. And that's something. Just to bring it home, that's something the Yankees don't quite understand. And uh, that's what some of the players understand. Judge understands it. He tries to bring everybody along, but the Yankees, as an organization, have not done that. And I go back to my Garrett Cole situation earlier. You got to leave Garrett Cole in that game, win or lose, to uh, makes him. If he screws it up, hopefully it makes him better in the future. You know, and uh, but they don't do that. Yeah. When you, you mentioned Rob Thompson and, and going back to the Zach Wheeler situation, my first thought was, you know, Wheeler, the, the analytics people jumping on that decision. But as I thought more about it, and, and I don't know if this is true or not, Wheeler had been having some arm soreness, and this made me like Thompson even more. I think that that could have been a possibility that that's why they took him out. And not only did he take the bullet for the analytics department, but he stepped in front of Wheeler's arm development. That was another thought I had that um, that's the kind of guy Thompson is. Uh, my first well, thought was well, he, he would do that, but that was not the case there simply because Wheeler would, and this gets back to my most important thought. You got to watch the game. And if you're uh, and these people don't watch the games anymore, they have a pre-plan and they go with it. Wheeler had a rough outing the last time out, but he was absolutely dealing. This, this oh yeah, and he right. was shocked. And again, Sal Sal knows this. When if a guy's throwing well, he's not hurting. It's not it's not a fluke. You know, you, you don't see him laboring. He's not reaching out with his arm. He's not doing things. He's not giving you all those subtle messages that there's something wrong. Right. He was he was. This was purely. I'm telling you, this was an analytical Alvarado. Versus Alvarez decision didn't matter if it was Zach Wheeler, or you know, um, you know, uh, Cy Young. That you're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna. If in a big part of the game, uh, you know, after the fifth inning, if we have to face Alvarez, we're bringing in Alvarado. We think he can handle him. And up until that point, he get, I think he hit him with a pitch, and and he popped up twice. But again, they don't make the. He made a great adjustment. It was quicker to the ball, and they didn't want. They, you know, they, they, they had a plan where they were not going to get Robbie Raid, where they just bring in anybody to face Alvarez. This was the plan. They stuck with it, but it finally blew up in their face because simply because they weren't watching how Zach Wheeler was dealing. Yeah, I had I'd actually that wasn't my original thought. I had heard that from a pitching a pitching guy in in uh, Major League Baseball. So it made me look at it again. But my oh, original- would, and Thompson's that type. He would take yeah. the bullet. He, he said it's my fault. He'd jump on. He'd, he'd land on a grenade. You know, it, it's, it's uh, you know, that he comes from that school where he, you know, he, he, he does that. So the other thing I wanted to mention too, is um, how's everybody's crypto doing? Yeah. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have zero invested, so I haven't, haven't lost any. 
Yeah, me, me. It's going to be very interesting to see where baseball goes with this FTX TX thing. You know, FTX kind of came up. Everybody was like watching games, and all of a sudden you're saying, "What? What the hell's that on the Empire shirt?" And what the hell's that FTX? I think people are still saying, "What the hell's FTX?" You know, all I got to say is, "What a world." Oh, we. Uh, it's. I look at it almost like a, a Madoff scheme uh, with what's going on with that stuff. There's, and I got this from an article, uh, Natural News, so I won't take credit for it. But, you know, with all the money that uh, there's, it looks to be evidence that with the money that's been pumped into the Ukraine, that there's money coming back. There was money coming back from the Ukraine into FTX, which was then being put into some of these these political races that we're having in the U.S. right now. Um, 90% of it put to the Democratic Party and a tiny put, put to some of the Republican races that we just saw. You know, some of them still aren't over yet, but there's a there's a there's a scheme going on here, and I'm glad I didn't put any money into that stuff. I'm big on gold, silver, and land, and my kids. That's what I invest in right now. But uh, I have uh, got guys who are very successful bankers, finance, Wall Street guys that have known my, that are friends of mine that have known my whole life, um, and some that I've met later in life from a different you know stream of uh, people that all say the same thing. They never understood it, and these are super bright guys who have made tons of money and they're not just the type that had money and made it because they had it. They made it from the ground up and they never understood it. So for me, that was a red flag. And and they are just, you know, the ones that are saying, I told you so this whole time. It's quick fix. Samuel Bankman Freed was the, the, I guess the leader of it. And ironically it was run by a bunch of young kids. Uh, It looks like some of his classmates at MIT. Um, Ironically, so similar to our analytics discussion earlier. FTX also, we talked about cross sports. They were the, um, they're the owner or were, because they got rid of the name now, they, of the Miami Heat's arena. Um, So that, that was an interesting dynamic. So not only did it infiltrate our poor umpires in Major League Baseball and it infiltrated the NBA and goes back to what we, I think I mentioned earlier in the show. Pro sports has become a watering hole for the the rich elite, and uh, we need to get it back. We need to get yeah, the game we need back. To get it back. And also, uh, I noticed I watched the Arizona Fall League championship game, and the Empires are still wearing the FTX. So I don't know. When gonna, yeah, well, I don't know when it's going to come off, where it's going to go. I um, I'm just hoping that we have a media, and this is way above my pay grade, that can deal with this this question. And, you know, if you, if you want me to analyze anything with baseball i will but I, i'm not even going to go there with this because i don't know anything about it all i know is i have a very good um bullshit detector i've always had it and um when i first saw my first video with that guy my bullshit detector like went off it, it, it went it went crazy so well how long did the enron stadium be or enron field how long did they keep that name <clears throat> name up there i don't know <clears throat> i'm just saying because it, it takes a little bit you know, you're always suspicious of when these organizations come from out of the blue and they uh, they have, like you said, you see the logos before you even know what they are. And they're in very prominent places. And there's supposedly, you know, I, I don't know if you guys saw the interview with that. Uh, I don't even want to, I don't know who the hell he is. But, uh, SBF. SBF. Yeah, I saw it. No, the one with, what's the guy's name that interviewed him? Naz or what? I don't know who that oh. is. I could be wrong oh, yeah. there. But uh uh, you know, he talked about giving away a hundred billion dollars over the next 10 years. And of course they went right to his, you know, his, what he was most concerned about. And he was most concerned about preparing for the next COVID-19 and, uh, and he had a mask in his hand. So that tells you something. And he's very concerned about uh, global warming. So basically he was concerned about all the things the UN is trying to push. So it's very interesting how it all comes together. Yeah. He said he was the largest donor to the Democratic Party besides Soros. So um, interesting, interesting ties here. Looking for it to unfold. I know we're, we're coming up on time here, but and this may not be a quick answer. But Pete Rose wrote a, a letter to the commissioner uh, asking for forgiveness and asking to be put on the ballot uh, with the veterans. You guys thoughts on that? Oh, let's Sal go first on that. Uh, you know, my position is uh, if you're telling me there's all these people that support the steroid users for the Hall of Fame and not Pete Rose, they're hypocrites because steroids have done more to impact the game. Every game, every game that's been played since it started, since this whole concept of PEDs became accepted. So even if you want to start it at 
day one, year one in this in this era is bonds at some point. Every game that's been played in Major League Baseball has been impacted by steroids and PEDs, whatever you want to refer to them as, since that day. Pete Rose, uh, he, he impacted maybe the games he managed. Uh, gambling is a, a speck on the map compared to what PEDs have done. So if you're, if you're not for Pete Rose, then you can't be for those other guys. Um, and that's all, all I'll say there. Again, PEDs have done more to ruin the um, integrity of the sport and the numbers, which are sacred in baseball. PEDs have done more than gambling ever will. Yeah, I remember we were talking to Goose Gossage about this, and Goose, in his own uh, unique way, was telling me when he first noticed the PED things. I asked him, I said, when did you really, you know, when did it get on your radar, steroids? And um, he said he was in, he was he was shagging balls in the outfield. I think he said it was 1988 or 1989. I forget what it was. I'd have to look at Baseball Reference. Um, and and him and Eckersley were out there, and they were talking. They were they were just saying, "Wow, look at how's this guy hitting that ball like that." So so to Sal's point, you know, we're talking decades and decades and decades of this thing. And uh, Pete Rose. Everybody knows who Pete Rose is. Everybody knows his faults. Ball players throughout the history of the game has always had faults. The biggest problem with Pete Rose is that it's it's in every it's in every uh, clubhouse, you know, whatever the rule number is, and you can't fool with it. He fooled with it. He got caught. I think he, in my book, you know, um, he he's paid. He, you know, he's he's paid the price in so many ways. And actually, baseball didn't even realize by doing what they did to Pete Rose, they created the Pete Rose industry of, you know, signing balls, doing things, you know, all the stuff he does in Vegas. And it's a very easy answer. I mean, if you just look at things objectively and common sense wise, FanDuel is everywhere. All the betting things are everywhere. Manfred's trying to turn every ballpark into a casino. Put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. He's the, he's the hits leader. Put it on his plaque. What happened? Make sure people know the history. We can't continue. We can't continue to bury history or look the other way. When bad things happen, we need to put it out there. It needs to be part of the game. But you still can't talk about all Pete Rose's hits and how he played the game and and how hard he played the game and and he was a winner. And um, he has his faults, but put him in, you know, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame with all the the, uh, information out there. Let people decide. We continue to create a society of people who don't know crap because nothing's out there anymore and they don't know things. And they just, you know, they, they hear a, they hear a tagline, they hear a, a talking point and that becomes a reality. Do your homework, understand who Pete Rose was, but also understand nobody's got more base hits than him. And now they're, they're in bed in every way, shape and form with gambling. Every sport is, um, it's so hypocritical in my book and, and Pete should be in. And, and speaking of history, I want to compliment to the, uh, you know, I'm a member of the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame, Randy LaRue. They had their, they had their, they had their dinner this weekend, a lot of inductees, you know, from Bucky Den on down, great guys. Our Billy Blitzer, who we interviewed, got in uh, a while back. Um, wonderful people. They had a great uh, 500 people, I think, at the event, sold out quick. And people want to know about it. People want to know about history. That's my point here. That's what I'm bringing it back to. So that Hall of Fame will be up and running soon, a brick and mortar up in Gloversville. My close friend Jack McKean got in as well. I heard he knocked him dead with his speech because that's Jack. And and I saw I saw he t- he he took out some of his famous famous lines that I've been hearing for you know since about 1988, and including one of them is and he's 92 now by the way, and he's still sharp as anything, and he's really active. He's in great shape, uh, you know. He had heart surgery a number of years ago, and you know he's like he's 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 a new young Jack. But he's one of his favorite lines I saw, telling people he goes, you know, I I'm so old, I remember preparation A, you know, not H, but preparation A. So uh, congrats to all them. No, that was great. I'm, I'll keep it short. With Pete Rose, I'm for him getting in. Four thousand two hundred fifty six hits. He's got the most wins of any player, 1,972. And the Hall of Fame, to me, is a place of history. It's not a place to rewrite history. And we're so fragile now as a society. Oh. We're free to face those things head on. So um, 
I'm, I'm all for him getting in baseball. He'd be a great ambassador for baseball right now. He's what we need, I think. You know, and- the hypocrisy with gambling, They, I was shocked. I was down in uh, D.C. and walked past where the Nationals play, and there's an MGM casino that's in the stadium. Yep, that's what, that's what Manfred wants. He wants yep. the casino. So, come on. Enough with the gambling being the reason he's out. And, and you know what? Just not to prolong this, but he was – a great player. Obviously, if he bet and he bet on himself, who cares? He, no one's had. How could you say it affected his play on the field? It's just total nonsense. Well, and this was after he was playing, so you know. Right. He was mad, but even mad. as a man, I mean, no one ever thought of him taking the day off. Either way, playing or managing, it, it's. Now I will say this because I was there during that era when we would come in as a visiting writers, and, and I think I gave you a little picture of what it was like back in the day when you actually talked to people. Um, in a comfortable situation and a lot of it off the record. Our writers, you know, the guys from San Diego would come into Pete's office and we'd sit there and be talking and um, Pete would pump us for information, you know, and we just thought, wow, he's really into it. But uh, he, he would pump us for information on the Padres and uh, what we're seeing. And uh, obviously he was gathering all his information, not only to try to win a game, but to try to make a bet. And He could uh, probably teach the nerds a thing or two. Oh yeah, he yeah he he you know he he knew what it was all about and uh, uh, I'll leave you with this. It's a good one. Um, we were at, in that conversation. We were asking him something, and he you know Pete's a great storyteller too. Very uh, and he's not afraid to make poke fun out of himself. So we were asking him something, and he 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 brought it all the way back to his high school days. And he goes, uh, you know that was I think that was, was that uh, that was I think that was tenth grade. He goes, I just can't remember. Was it the first or the second time I was in 10th grade? And I might have the grade wrong, but that's basically Pete. You know, that's, yeah. that's the way it goes. <laughs> I think it's a great way to, to end it today. Guys, great show today. Episode 86, our panel of experts. We missed Will today. Uh, but we've got a great, great group of shows lined up later this week. Kevin Mensch, Tim McDowell, Jerry Depoto will be on later this week. And, of course, we had Ray Crone on yesterday, Lifelong Scout. A lot of great stories. Tune into that one. We hope you enjoyed this show today. Guys, thanks, and we appreciate your effort today. You got it. Great to be here. Beautiful day for a home run, but even a triple token, we're going to cheer.